0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. He nai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Piki mai kakei mai. I'm Alison Balance, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. I'm off to the University of Otago to talk with Joram Barak. He's an associate professor of psychiatry and a consultant psychogeriatrician at Dunedin Hospital. He's very interested in the brain and how to keep our brains healthy and active as we get older. He says the greatest risk is loneliness.
1: One of the greatest ever psychogeriatricians in the world, Professor uh, uh, Robert Waldinger from Harvard University, says loneliness is toxic, we take it a step further. Loneliness is a killer in old age, in every age, but especially in old age. So your chances of suffering from a stroke are about 30% higher if you are lonely. Loneliness will kill you. It will shorten your life expectancy, eventually killing you. Some people claim that loneliness is a much greater public health hazard than smoking, obesity, or high blood pressure. And I don't think that they're wrong. Why do you think that uh, is? God, that, that's, a, that's a hard one. Easiest answer would be to say that loneliness probably disables to a great part your immune system. So, for example, if you go back to groundbreaking research in the 1980s and 90s, where researchers at the UCLA in California had people, had their brains scanned in what we call functional MRI. So they had people get into the functional MRI scanner and play a virtual game of passing the ball amongst a group of participants and people were falsely told that actually what we are testing is if you like dexterity so they have to sort of walk the the, the tablet or the program faster and faster. But what we were actually testing, not we, the people at UCLA, was to see what happens when you are rejected. So people in the group sort of ignored you. They passed you the ball less and less, and you felt rejected, like, hey, guys, what's happening? I'm here too. Pass me the ball, but nobody is passing you the ball. And you could see that in the brains of these people, the network that lighted up, like, A Christmas tree is the very exact same network that lights up when you are suffering from severe physical pain. So socially, when you are rejected, it's like someone is taking a hammer and breaking your bones. The brain can't distinguish between the physical acute severe pain of, of breaking a bone or being rejected in social circumstances. That was just the beginning of our understanding of the damages of social isolation and loneliness onto our bodies. Because if you are chronically lonely, that means that you are struggling with chronic psychic, with chronic pain, mental pain. And we know that chronic pain eventually erodes your immune system. So you're more likely to have cancer, you're more likely to have stroke or heart disease. Eventually it kills you. Loneliness skills. So we really need to be pushing to, towards less screen time and more people time, educating people and helping them walk through relationships because only through maintaining supportive and loving relationships can you secure successful aging. It's not your midlife cholesterol or your midlife hypertension or even midlife obesity or smoking that will eventually make you, you know, sort of demented and, and disabled and, and, you know, have a, have a nasty sort of time as you age. It's your relationships. People in midlife who had a supportive, important relationship that they felt would be there for them if things went bad in their life, aged beautifully. Even if they did have a bit of a cholesterol raise in in their laboratory tests. So it's all about that. So this could be having a partner you live with, this could be
0: being part of an extended family, this could be having a strong network of friends,
1: all of those? Well, yes and no, I'm afraid uh, having a partner, that means nothing. Because in the old days when we did research, we sort of figured that people who are living alone are lonely. And people who have a partner, or married, whatever, are doing okay. Not at all. It's the quality of the relationship. That's where the differences stand out. Just having a partner, but someone who is sort of a cold, strange relationship, which is just, you know, sort of due to inertia, it's still there because you've been together 30 years and the kids are gone and it's easier to just stick together rather than, you know, go through a process of maybe divorcing or separating and and investing in a new partnership. Not good enough. Doesn't do anything for you. Actually, it may be even worse for you than getting divorced and getting on with your life. You need a partner that essentially you feel is... A safety net for you if things go bad for you physically or mentally. If that quality, if that assurance, which is completely psychologically subjective, is not part of the relationship, then the relationship will do nothing for you. And it doesn't matter if outwardsly it looks like you're bickering and not having a lovey dovey look alike relationship, but if it's there, that belief, that assurance, that your partner will be there for you. That is one hell of an insurance certificate for a great old age. And the complex interaction between loneliness, which has been found just recently to be one of the greatest risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. So if you are lonely in midlife, your chances of 20 or 30 years down the line to develop Alzheimer's disease are nearly tripled So loneliness not only affects our hearts or our immune system and chances of having cancer, it affects the way our brains actually operate and what we remember and the way we construct our language and orient ourselves in the world. So it's the deep-seated insult to our brains when our brains are lonely. We need to invest in prevention and to understand that Alzheimer's disease is a biopsychosocial phenomena, not just a biological phenomena driven by the immune system or by a virus. So there's not going to be a
0: single pill that you as a doctor can prescribe and go, if you take this pill, you won't get Alzheimer's. So what do you prescribe to people?
1: There are several things you really need to commit yourself to if you want to assure yourself and the people that you love of a a successful ageing. One of them is really invest, lean into your relationships, your partners, your family, your friends, and your community. And, and it's a different menu for different people. Some people are not people's persons, so they do really well investing in their families. Some people are not family-oriented and do, do really well investing in, in social networks and in their community. But that's probably the one greatest thing you could do. The other is change your Nutrition. I mean, seriously, people eat themselves to death. We estimate that anywhere from 20 to 25 percent of cancers are driven by wrong nutrition. So we can prevent a lot of cancers. But there are nutritional plans out there, uh, funded and researched by the American government, which can reduce your risk of Alzheimer's disease by 55 percent within three or four years of adhering to these nutritional plans. Is this basic healthy eating?
0: Mm, No,
1: really, it's more complicated than that. It's called the mind diet. What are the keys to it? Well, olive oil. (laughs) Keep away from red meat. Keep away from dairy. These are difficult things to say to people who grew up in New Zealand. Lots of olive oil, lots of whole grains, huge amounts of vegetables and fruit. Fish, if you just must have meat, have chicken or turkey, give up on red meat. Absolutely keep away from alcohol. Berries, blueberries, blackberries, brilliant for your brain. Exercise? Mm, Probably the greatest effect size has been shown for exercise as preventing Alzheimer's disease, but every couple of months, we understand more and more what exercise actually means. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you train for the marathon. Recent publication was very positive about the effects of yoga or Tai Chi, but loads of exercise. And probably, if you ask me, the the fourth leg for that, you know, sort of table of, of brain goodness would be meditation. One of the groundbreaking studies was called for ever younger and actually showed that people who have meditated anywhere from 12 to 20 minutes a day not you know take yourself off to a cave in in tibet and become a monk and meditate in a, in in a lonely cave in the himalayan mountains for 20 years 12 to 20 minutes a day you can meditate sitting cross-legged on the floor or in a chair or walking, or jogging, or even lying down in bed. And people who do meditate uh, most of their adult life, when you scan their brains using a brain CT, computerized tomography, and you show their brain scan to a neurologist who doesn't know their age, he would estimate on average that they are 20 years younger than their chronological age. So relationships, food, exercise, and meditation can't get better than that. The other thing that
0: people talk about is using your brain, about brain training and keeping active and doing crosswords and things. Is there a value in that?
1: Well, 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 that's, you know, sort of, that's a minefield. Yes, exercising your brain is brilliant, but how do you do that? So the, probably the best thing you could do, if you want to be really sort of high-level exercise, uh, the American National Academy of Science and Medicine says play bridge. And again, it comes to the question of, is it just that, you know, sort of challenge in playing bridge, the card game that is, which is very complex? Or is it the fact that you that you need a foursome and you're in a partnership and there's two against two and it's competitive and you need to communicate in a very, very complex manner the bidding and understanding the play of the hand is actually a very complex form of communication. So the idea about brain training is, and and I'm afraid that some people just misunderstand that is it's not just going through the motions of training your brain like Sudoku or doing a crossword puzzle. It is challenging your brain with novel information that needs to be synthesized. So the idea is, yes, exercise your brain. Playing bridge or listening to classical music, which is a huge challenge to the human brain. Music is such a novel stimuli and it is being synthesized in different parts of our brains than where we synthesize, you know, sort of just regular information or mathematics or or so it is a huge challenge. So try to play a musical instrument, learn a new language, play bridge. Listen to classical music. All these have been shown to be really great for your brain. And then, of course, playing bridge or listening to music can also incorporate social interaction. Recent research coming out of China, looking at at over 15,000 elderly Chinese men and following them up for about five years and seeing that the ones who read the newspaper regularly, played mahjong regularly, and kept betting on horse racing regularly, were doing really well keeping Alzheimer's away. And you would think, what? Are we going to recommend horse race betting? But I think, just like we, we spoke before, it's not about the betting, it's about going down to the local, whatever it is, bet shop, yeah, and meeting your mates and talking to them and and you know to, you know sort of synthesizing information that you learned or they learned about this source or this jokey, and the whole the whole sort of social interaction that comes together when when people are involved in something they're excited about and it's competitive and there may be you know even a prize at the end of the day, and that keeps your brain younger.
0: Thanks, Yoram. That was Yoram Barak from the Dunedin School of Medicine at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 8th of November 2018. You can find us online at rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. You'll find this story there, the audio as well as photos and a written feature and useful links. If you'd rather listen to us as a podcast, there are many ways of listening – And they're free. For iPhones, head to Apple Podcasts. If you use a Google or Android phone, then head to Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, or somewhere like that. Or download the free RNZ app. We are there, along with the New Zealand history podcast, Black Sheep, the Suffrage podcast, Beyond Kate, and a brand new podcast series called Two Cents Worth, which is a weekly chat about things to do with business and the economy. If you like doing business on Facebook and Twitter, you'll find us there, RNZ Science. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your company. Bye for now. Nā